First of the year, time of unkept resolutions. I abandoned that whole idea a long time ago, but uh, every once in a while, I just like it when, when you kind of get a fresh start. I've been having some computer problems, and I finally come to the realization all I have to do is unplug the thing and wait a, wait a while, and it resets. It starts back up, and it's, it's like a miracle. Uh, and when you're very computer illiterate as I am, that's a real plus. I mean, that's a whoever designed that piece of a computer programming was, they're my hero. Have you ever been at a point in your life where you thought, man, if I could just kind of push the reset button? 2 things are at foot a foot here at Berean if you're a, a guest this morning we are humbled and and honored that you're here but we're a family and so sometimes we talk about family things and I'm sure you can appreciate that the interesting thing is most things we talk about as a church family have application to our individual families and to people that aren't even part of our church family at all this is the first of the year, and so we think in terms of restarting and fresh starts. Brian is in a particularly interesting time in its life, its history, where we are in the midst of discerning God's will relative to a new lead pastor. We would be hard-pressed to think of a more significant decision than the one that is in process right now. By the way, if you're a guest, I'm the interim pastor, which means I'm the in-between pastor. I'm really not a pastor, but I am a pastor. I'm sort of like a substitute pastor, so uh, it's going to get better, okay, that's for sure. But nevertheless, uh, that's where Berean is. We're pushing the reset, reset button. We're going we're gonna to restart. And that, that has profound implications. I trust that you are praying for the search team on a regular basis. I trust that you are praying for the staff and the deacons and the trustees and the mission board as we seek to give leadership during this time of transition. It's critical. We are going to look at a portion of Scripture that gives us the backstory of one of the greatest times of transition in God's dealing with his children. It's when Joshua takes over leadership after a 40-year apprenticeship under Moses. And Joshua is commissioned by God, called by God, to lead the people into the promised land. And so for the next, for three weeks, it was going to be four, but we 
had a little weather problem last week. Uh, so uh, we adjusted. So it's going to be a three-part series where we're going to allow the early chapters of Joshua to guide our thinking. I am, at times, I have to admit, amazed at how relevant and contemporary an actual event in history that happened centuries ago, centuries ago, is so contemporary. I'm going to read Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. I would invite you to stand with me as we read. We stand in anticipation of what God might want to say to us as individuals, to our families, and to our church family. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river of the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. That's the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate it on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Father, thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are here indwelling each of us as your children to teach us, to guide us, to encourage to convict us, Lord, whatever you know we need. I pray, Father, that you would protect these dear people from something that I might say that is an, a misinterpretation or a misapplication of the passage. Give us ears to hear, Father, what you have to say. May we be open. to the transformational power of your word when directed, empowered by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much. Please be seated. In this portion of Scripture, God is acknowledging Joshua's reality. 
You see, God doesn't forget the past. He just doesn't dwell there. He's saying, quite candidly, Moses, my servant, is dead. That's your reality, Joshua. No longer are you the second chair. You are now the guy. The buck stops with you. And God knows that he's going to need encouragement. And so God sets out to do just that very thing. You've been there, haven't you? Where you are facing a challenge. More often than not, not a welcomed challenge. Not an informed challenge. The, uh, the, the, one of the pastors at the church that I was just before coming here in Wisconsin, a young man, he got married. And I was talking to the, the pastor, the, the lead pastor who came, and I said, well, well how's uh, Josiah doing? And the lead pastor wisely said, he has no idea what he's in for, being a newlywed. Uh, and so he's still in that that, you know, wonderful, you know, uninformed, blissful reality. So sometimes we get in situations and we don't you know, have a clue what we're getting into. Joshua knew what he was getting into. For 40 years, he had cooled his heels because of the rebellion, the lack of faith of God's people. He could have had nearly 40 years in the promised land, and he knew it. And he had seen these people. He had seen these people die because of their lack of faith. Every person 20 years of age and older died in that what we call 40 years of wandering. You know, the trip to Egypt to the promised land should have taken them 11 days Now, there were a lot of people, some estimates well over 2 million people. And just walking for 2 million people of those miles would have taken some time, but it should have been 11 days, 40 years. Joshua knows this is not going to be a cakewalk. This is not going to be an easy thing. Not to mention the fact that there are cities that he had spied out 40 years before that were walled cities. They were, they, there were people in there who were big and strong, and, and it was their homeland. And they were going to fight for their homeland. But God had given it to the children of Israel. He knew what he was in for. We don't have to think very hard to understand that the Berean Baptist Church is in for a fight. When God gives us the man that he wants to lead us into the next chapter of ministry, there's going to be some battles. Getting ready for that person, there are going to be some battles. God understands that when you are at a point in your life where it's something new. 
maybe not anticipated, but something new. And the basis of God's encouragement is that God is faithful. It's based upon the character of God. Verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Sound familiar? Verse 9, the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Jesus said that, I am with you always to the end of the age. The promise of God to be with his chosen people was true in the Old Testament, it's true in the New Testament. It's historical and it's current. And it also applies to the future. This is not just some pep talk at halftime. This is a declaration by God of who he is and why that should be Joshua's sole source of courage. The reason he can be strong, the reason he should not become discouraged when discouraging, frustrating, disappointing things happen. God is not telling Joshua that life's going to be easy. God is not telling Joshua, oh man, you, you, you know, grow up, move on. God's not ignoring the, the harsh realities of sinful fallen people living in a sinful fallen world. But he's saying in the midst of that reality, know for sure and certain that I am going to be with you. And that you can be strong and you can be courageous and you don't have to get discouraged. Don't be distracted. That is true for you and me and for us today. Secondly, we learn in this portion of Scripture that God uses obedient people. Verse 7, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it from the right or the left, and you will be successful wherever you go. Success comes to those who are obedient. And then in verse, it says the same thing in verse 8. Do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. God uses obedient people. God can use all kinds of things, and he has. He used a fish when it came to Jonah. He used a donkey with Balaam. He used people with bad motives. Joseph's brothers. He uses people with a past. The Apostle Paul. I've been reading Galatians from my devotion time, my quiet time, and, and Paul spends the first basically two chapters re rehearsing his, his very, very tainted history. God uses people with a past. God uses imperfect people. Abraham. You do know that the Arab-Israeli conflict that we experience today is because of Abraham's sin. 
Moses. Moses had an anger problem. Killed somebody because of it. Kept him from going into the promised land because of it. David. Now, it's, you know, Abraham was the friend of God. God talked to him like a, like a, like a friend. Moses, the same thing. And then David was, was a man after God's own heart, but, but they were imperfect people. David was an adulterer and a murderer, not to mention a really bad father. You see, God uses obedient people, not perfect people. I find that encouraging. When David was exposed to his sin by Nathan, Psalm 51.3, For I know my transgressions are my, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned. Isaiah, woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Paul, 1 Timothy 1.16, I am the worst of sinners. I don't think Paul was using hyperbole. He wasn't being falsely humble. Paul genuinely believed, and maybe he was the worst of sinners. God's not foolish or reckless. He uses obedient people. Joshua is reminded with great clarity two times in these few verses. Be obedient. God is faithful. God uses obedient people. And God gives success. Again, verse 8 then you will be prosperous and successful. Verse 7, that you may be successful wherever you go. Here's the problem when we use the word success, when the Scriptures use the word success, and we as American Christians read it. We interpret success by our own definitions of success. Who is successful in our culture? Somebody with credentials, somebody with looks, somebody with money, somebody with power. And God uses people who are good looking. I can't experientially tell you that, but I've read about it and I've seen it. Okay? God uses people who are very bright. God uses people who have lots of money. God uses influential people. But that's not the norm. And when we allow ourselves to define success only by what our culture defines as success, we position ourselves into a horrific, just devastating reality. Who who attends successful churches in Mansfield? Is it just those churches that are really big and hot and growing? Are they the only successful churches in Mansfield? I hope in your head you're screaming, no. Okay? We have to be careful how we define success. In this context, success is getting the people into the land and conquering the current inhabitants. And that happened. 
just, just as an aside, if you take the big picture, go up to 100,000 feet and look down, Joshua was a miserable failure in his succession. There was a very smooth succession plan between Moses and Joshua. It just was smooth, no problems. They kept going. They were successful. When Joshua died, the book after Joshua is the book of Judges. They did what was right in their own eyes. There was no succession plan. Joshua, who had a 40-year experience of being groomed to do what he was asked to do, and then it took him 40 years to do it, failed in developing a succession plan. See, when God talks about his chosen people, when God talks about leaders, when God talks about you and me even, but go to Hebrews chapter 11. God's not endorsing everything about every person. He's picking what he wants to talk about, think about at the time. God gives success. Let God define success. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 11 and 12, look at verse 12. So that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. Success is when God is glorified. What does it mean when God is glorified? Does it mean you get what you want? Does it mean that your particular program or project is successful? No, what it means is that God gets the credit. Glorifies a church word. What it means is we give God the credit. And we mean it. It's not just the right thing to do. God is faithful. God uses obedient people. God gives success. And then lastly, God calls for courage. God calls for courage. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? It's a rhetorical question. God's asking the question. He knows the answer because he's already told him twice. Then he says it again. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. And again, why? For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go because of God's faithfulness. But God calls for courage. God calls you and me to courage as well. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Philippi. He says this, Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Be obedient. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. What's success? Being faithful and presenting, affirming, trying to live out the gospel. And then he says, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. When you begin a new challenge, you are going to have opposition. You know this. Any newborns in the, in the room? Any, anybody have a baby born recently? 
Oh, I'm glad you asked. Yes, my daughter had a baby. Uh, and uh, Thursday evening, right before uh, midnight on that day. And so yeah, I, I'm grateful for your prayers and concern. My daughter Samantha is uh, healthy, and Micah, the little girl, is healthy as well. So we are rejoicing in that uh, gift from God, that uh, just incredible thing. But uh, there's going to be challenges with Micah. It's their third granddaughter, my, my third granddaughter, their third daughter. So, you know, they've had a little bit of experience in, in dealing with it, but every child is different. It's a great, it's a, it's a wonderful reality, but it's challenging. I have a 14-year-old grandson who's getting ready to go into high school. He's going to be hit over the head when he hits high school. It's, it's, a, it's an incredibly challenging world to live in. By the way, if you're a parent or a grandparent and you think you know what it was like to be in high school, you don't have a clue what it's like to be in high school today. It's incredibly challenging. Not that it wasn't challenging for us, but it's just wow. New, exciting chapter of life, but still challenging. Ever start a new job? Hey, how about this one? Ever get married? Ever retire? Each new chapter of life is filled with challenges. And with those challenges are fears. Fear of the unknown. What am I going to do? How am I going to adjust to that? Let me tell you something, Berean, and I say this with, with a genuine heart for you. Berean is in store from some, some incredible challenges. As we seek to get ready for the next pastor, there are going to be some big challenges that Berean is going to face. And if we allow fear to keep us from doing what we believe is the right thing to do, we are going to be terrified, we are going to be discouraged, and we are not going to be successful. Let me explain to you, as I have tried to explain to other leaders in the fellowship, what I think this time of an interim pastor is all about. Imagine a forest. Some old growth, some new growth, but lots of trees, underbrush, all kinds of stuff. And somebody sees that forest land, and they want to plant a crop there. What has to happen? The trees have to be cut down. The stumps have to be removed. The rocks need to be relocated. There needs to be tilling of the soil. That's what we're doing right now at Berean. We are cutting down trees digging up stumps, 
blowing up rocks, and we're getting the ground so when the new lead pastor comes, he can start without having to fight those battles. You do not want to get a new lead pastor, and for the first 18 to 24 months, he's out there chopping down trees, he's digging up stumps, he's going to be worn out before he gets started. Now, one of the interesting things about being an interim pastor is that trees don't like being cut down. Rocks don't like being moved. So, people will get mad at the interim pastor. That's okay. I don't particularly enjoy that aspect of what I do, but I've done it enough to know that that's going to happen. It's either do it now or do it later. Come on. You're too smart, a group of people. You're too godly, a group of people, to say, let's just postpone the inevitable. We're going to deal with that problem. Oh, we know we got a problem, but we're going to deal with it later. No, no, we're going to deal with it now. And there's going to be lots of fear. Joshua knew to a great extent, what he was getting into. Remember, I've already said it, he was one of the 12 spies that spied out the land. And now they have had 40 years, those people, to get ready for this mass of people headed their way. And he's experienced the fickleness of the Israelites. They weren't nice people. He was told to be strong and courageous. Let's allow God's instruction to Joshua instruct us at Berean right now. Know for sure and certain that God is faithful. God uses obedient people. God gives success, and God calls for courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's the choice to trust God to enable you to do what He is asking you to do. Don't miss the Holy Spirit speaking to you as an individual relative to your life. Maybe it has to do with somebody or something at work. Maybe there's a family situation that needs to dressed. Maybe it's a relationship that you need to terminate. Maybe it's a conversation you need to have. If as you are sitting there, graciously, calmly, 
If the Spirit of God has brought something to your mind that in your life probably should be addressed, and it's fearful, you don't know how you're going to do it. You don't know what's going to happen. Years ago, I had earned the right. I had gone to, I was a youth pastor. I had gone to the school that was closest to the church, ultimately where both of my daughters graduated from. And I, I made an appointment, talked to the principal, and I was told I couldn't come on the campus. They had, they had a pretty strict policy about pastors walking around on the campus of the church, school. I said, Okay. I stepped back and I kept my eyes and ears open and I found ways that I could serve that school. And in a few years, I could walk into that campus anytime I wanted to. I could walk into the superintendent's office, call him by his first name, joke around with him. I could go to the principal's office of the high school. I could do the same thing. I had carte blanche privilege anywhere to do anything I wanted to do on that campus because I had earned it. It was a wonderful reality. I'm at a youth leaders conference in Chicago, and I'm burdened that I need to share the gospel with the superintendent. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh, man, I've worked so hard to get this access to the school, and now I'm going to tell him about Jesus, and he's going to get mad at me, and I'm going to be back on the outside looking in. But I, was, I felt God leading me to do that. So I wrote him a letter from Chicago. And I said, uh, I'd like to talk with you. I'd like to talk about faith. I come back, we make the appointment, I have the conversation, share the gospel with him. And he doesn't get mad at me. In fact, his first name is Joe. Joe and I are, are, are friends. When, when my grandchildren with my youngest daughter knocked at his door this Halloween, he's long since retired, uh, but uh, I knocked on his door and he started talking to them and, and uh, he was known in the, in the neighborhood as the guy that gave out the big candy bars. Uh, and, uh, and he started talking to them and, oh, you're, you're Mike Wells' daughter. And he starts telling them Mike Wells stories. And, you know, and we have this great rapport and relationship even today. I was, I, was, I was afraid to broach him with the gospel. I can't tell you he's a believer or not. I don't know. You see, God defines the success. And when we're sharing the gospel with somebody, success isn't that they come to Christ. Success is that you're faithful. God does the winning of somebody. It's not my ability to persuade. It's not my winsomeness. It's not my articulation. It's the Holy Spirit working in somebody's heart, drawing them to Jesus. So success, that's God's department. But I was scared, and I almost didn't do it. I know what it's like to be scared. If you're here this morning, and the Spirit of God is telling you, you need to be thinking about this I, I want you to, to do this. I want you to stop that, whatever it may be. 
and it's scary. I want to pray for you. And the way I'm going to know how to pray for you is I'm going to ask you if that's your reality, that you stand up. Right now, and I'll pray for you. Anybody? Okay? While the people are standing, you're speaking to them, they're listening, and it's scary. I pray, Lord, that they would experience the encouraging words that you gave to Joshua, that you will be with them. Oh, Lord that they would draw upon the promise of your character and that you would give them the wisdom, the discernment, the courage to do what you're asking them to do. I pray the same thing, Father, for us as a church. But for these dear men and women, may they leave here, Father, with an understanding and a conviction that enables them to negotiate life, that they would not be terrified, that they would not be discouraged, but they would be very strong and courageous. And we will be grateful, Father. We will give you all the credit because you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you all stand, please? As we come to a conclusion, it's a doxology, a benediction. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now, and forevermore. Amen. Be strong and courageous.